welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you? I am doing great, Parker. Uh, it's good to talk to you again, man. Uh, we're Zooming. Yeah, we are. We're, we're in the future. Um, and as an added bonus today, we have Carlos Mendez, uh, formerly of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, guy who knows a ton about TCU, currently writing freelance for Athlon um, on the show. So, Carlos, hello. Welcome and uh, glad to have you. Thanks, man. I'm glad to uh, be invited. I've been kind of jonesing to talk some football to somebody besides my computer screen, <laughs> which yeah. actually I'm doing again right now. Adds a little bit of humanity to not just be typing or reading tweets or writing articles. Um, so I definitely feel that. So today we're going to talk about a lot of TCU this fall. Carlos, you recently did the Athlon preview uh, or just submitted it for the magazine that's going to come out, yep. uh, a really great preview magazine. And we'll talk all about that. But I have, to, I have to just start with something first. Have, have either of you or both of you seen Mike Gundy's comments from today? Yes. Did we, see them, yes. We have to talk about Mike Gundy. Grant, can you just give us a little background on, on what Gundy said today? And then I'd love to hear both of your reactions. So this is, okay, so I think this was technically yesterday in a teleconference with reporters um, about the coronavirus. Uh, and I'm just going to quote directly from a teleconference here. In my opinion, if we had to bring our players back, test them, they're all in good shape. They're all 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds. They're healthy. A lot of them could fight it off with their natural body, the antibodies, and the build that they have. See, we get people that get the flu during the season. We quarantine them. We treat them. We make sure they're healthy. We bring them back. Uh, he wants to have his guys back, oh, I don't know, uh, I think mid-May. Uh, he said it would be the same thing here, but at some point, we've got to get back to work. We've got to get these guys back in here. Um. I don't know. Does the word tone deaf kind of fit the bill? Yeah. I, young, I, young and healthy. Is he talking about you, Grant? Does he want to? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is. Yeah. That does feel like an extremely Mike Gundy aesthetic to be like, rub some dirt on the coronavirus. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think that's fascinating because we are in this weird period. Um, my, my hot take on this, Gundy has the most returning production in the Big 12 and knows yep. he probably has his best team in like five years. Yep. <laughs> and that is 100% what's going on here. It's so understandable. You know, I mean, he's dying to coach. We're all dying to watch it again. But you just, you got to go through something you've never had gone through before in your life, which is just wait. Just wait until they say go. But when is that going to be? I, I don't know. And I mean, the Big 12 has, I think, suspended all play at least through May 1st. I mean, I don't know yeah. if, if NCAA or anything like that has, has, has set a date past that. But if Gundy wants him back in the next few weeks, like he's not allowed by the conference. No, there's I nothing know. happening May 2nd or 3rd or no, of, any of day course. beyond that. Any, yeah, I mean, he definitely has a distinct advantage in like, sure, in Stillwater, it's a lot easier to like isolate and be separate. But if you think about kids who are living like in Austin or in Fort Worth or um, I guess those are the really the, the two big cities in the, in the Big 12. But like, they're going to have to, there's a lot more risk there, even if they are just at school, like living in and around and, and kind of being in contact with more population density. So I think it's interesting. I just thought it was funny that in that, in that moment, it was like, oh yes, I'm Mike Gundy and I'm going to say the exact thing that you would think Mike Gundy would say. Well, you know, when Tiger Breeders are getting more attention than you are in your home state for football, <laughs> mm -hmm. you've got to do something to get back in the news. And yes, that's back. a great, it's yeah. a great point, Parker. He does have a great team coming back. He's itching to go. Yeah. I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Alex Kirshner of Banner Society who tweeted, 
The coronavirus is kind of like the Oklahoma Sooners. It's extremely dangerous, and Mike Gundy has no idea how to beat it, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which I enjoyed. But. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, well, I guess that was the most, the most newsworthy thing this week, mm -hmm. so I just wanted to start off with that. Um, okay, let's pivot, and let's talk some more about TCU. So, Carlos, you just submitted your AFON preview, and I want to talk a little bit about that, about writing for that. Is this the first time that you've, um, that you've done the preview for the magazine, or have you done it before, or...? No, I've been uh, I've been their guy since I hopped on TCU for the Star Telegram. Of course, they always you know get in touch with somebody who would know the team and can mm -hmm. get them a detailed preview. So um, I've been able to do that for five years now, and I've enjoyed it. You really get to do a deep dive on the team versus what you would do for a newspaper or you know maybe a blog post or something like that. So you've really got to you know work your way down the roster and figure out what's what and kind of anticipate because. They actually ask you, they ask you for a depth chart uh, as to what it will look like on opening day, not when spring ends. So you've got to do a lot of projection, a lot of conjecture, and a lot of kind of trying to think along with the coaches. And, you know, what appears in the magazine, you can check it out the first game and see how close you got. And that's – it's really kind of fun. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, that's something I actually tried this this offseason for the first time was to put together a um, a whole depth chart. And yeah. looking at it, there's some interesting, um, there's some interesting battles. Uh, I, think, I think we just go ahead and dive into that. Um, do you want to talk about one or two of the most interesting position battles you found when you were kind of putting together that roster or putting together that depth chart? Well, you know, what they really need to do is find some edge rushers, somebody to get to the quarterback. A defensive end with a pulse, at least, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> not just two or three. You really need three or four or five in this conference because of the number of plays – you get in a game and how quickly these guys get the ball out of the pocket. So, you know, I think O'Shawn Mathis is the leading sack man with three and a half last year, but he needs a lot of help. He's going to develop. He's going to be pretty good. But, you know, where are these next guys behind him, the two, three guys behind him? That's, those are really the names that I'm going to be watching for when this thing starts getting going again. And one of those guys is a guy that we keep expecting to crack the death chart. I mean, look at Brandon Bowen, who's, been hurt for like his entire TCU career but he's always one of those guys that's like if he gets healthy he can be an edge rusher but is he ever going to be healthy I mean that's kind of the question definitely um another interesting thing about the defensive line last year at the end especially as Mathis was coming coming along um and and with the disappointment uh well I hate to I hate to single out an individual guy with the disappointment of the other defensive ends TC switched to a lot of three down linemen um which I think kind of changes the, the positional battle. You know, that's the way defense is going, and, and Gary's not one to shy away from adapting. And, and so definitely having that, that variety of guys who can play can let them show a bunch of looks. So I agree. Defensive, defensive end seems like a huge, a huge gap this, this fall. Um, what else? What, uh, maybe on the other side of the ball, there's, a, there's a, vacuum at, uh, a vacuum at running back and a vacuum at receiver and a vacuum at uh, tackle. So, line. Yeah. yeah, I guess there's a vacuum all over. So, Carlos, what, what do you think is an interesting position battle from uh, the offense? Well, it's a little bit um, – a little bit. it's not sexy, but it's the offensive line. Mm -hmm. You know, who is going to play where? You've got a center. You can feel real good. In fact, you've got that most important position on the line set. But, you know, you need tackles. You need guards. And the way TCU is going to play with this the sophomore quarterback now – Max Duggan, this is a guy that needs to have ultimate trust when he's in the pocket because if he's not comfortable, he's bailing. And mm -hmm. if he's bailing, your offense is not flowing the way you want it to. 
So protection for him, even though he's a great runner and you think you can get by with a mobile guy who can take care of himself, you just don't, you can't ask a guy to do that all year. So protection from these guys is going to be paramount. And Carlos, that flows into the running game as well. And with, you know, Darius Anderson, Shaywell, Lana Luagon, you kind of look in that backfield and a lot like the receiver core, there's a lot of talent, but much of it's unproven. And I think, like you said, with the turnover at offensive line, it, is it going to be kind of hard to pick a front runner from the running back this year? Is it just kind of more of a, you know, kind of a feeling out year heading into 2021 uh, in the backfield? It could be, but, you know, I really like those two guys that they redshirted last year, Barlow and Foster. The more you look at the Mike Foster's accomplishments in Wichita Falls, the more you just cannot wait to see him run because he runs, he runs fast, obviously, but he is a powerful guy. He is built like a fire hydrant. And there is no we, we talk about his guy. thighs often yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, there is no... There is no going low. I know, I know that's what Gary Patterson teaches his guys, but you don't want to go low on this guy with his knees pistoning back and forth coming right at you. So I want to see what kind of wiggle he's got. I haven't got to watch him play yet, but, uh, you know, the more you look at his numbers and his track record, holy cow, that's the guy I expect to pop. But, you know, Barlow from Newton had a great, great track record too, and I think he's probably – a touch more explosive. So I'm really looking forward to watching those two running backs kind of swap carries for a while. Definitely. And and I had thought for a little bit that Dave Mercado could have had a little bit of a window for, for some starting time. Cause he's shown, you know, uh, above average uh, capability as a running back and a punt returner. He was injured this year. He'll only have one more year of uh, eligibility, right? He didn't, he can't redshirt again. Yeah. It doesn't look like it. Yeah, so so he'll that'll be a nice third option, and, and I think we'll see him on special teams, but potentially you know unproven, but but some some real depth there. Um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, but you know, with things the way they are right now, kind of in flux and limbo, you don't know where eligibility eligibility is going to land right in six months if things have not changed. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, kind of a huge asterisk over the whole conversation. Um, Okay, wait, staying on the offensive side of the ball, because I, I want to talk about receiver a little bit, uh, but I want to ask this question. So we are a pro Max Duggan podcast. Uh, I, might be, I might be one of the, the loudest champions of Max Duggan and his potential. Can't blame you for that. Uh, and I think any, any reasonable one should. There was a lot of talk about Matthew Baldwin. Um, do you think Matthew Baldwin would have competed for the job had spring been normal? I, uh, uh, how, does, how does this spring happen or affect all of that? Yeah, he might have, but he's got to get healthy first. Everything you hear is that his back's not ready yet. I think it's the back that's the problem. So I don't know what his health status is. And the head coach out there does not believe in guys not guys competing if they're not ready, especially if they haven't played yet. Mm-hmm. You need to be right first to compete. So I would not have expected a big push from anyone for Duggan, uh, unless, it was, unless it was the guy they signed, the Juco guy they signed. But this is Duggan's team. Uh, you're right to be pro-Duggan because this is a pro-Duggan team and a Duggan program right now. I, I don't know what else you needed to see last year from him in his uh, six starts and ten games, but to me he showed uh, moxie, competitiveness, leadership, fire, and the team gravitated around him. And he, he stepped into the spotlight and didn't flinch. Now, he was a freshman. He played like it. 
he had some good and bad and his progression it wasn't linear and it's not going to be linear but if you're asking for the intangibles and the tools this kid's got them and carlos traveling back in time a bit you mentioned putting together that depth chart every kind of spring for, for athlon did you see duggan pushing for that job last year against against delton Yes, yes, I did, because, you know, you just have to read between the lines. You have to listen to what people are saying. And mm -hmm. they had seen this kid run in practice. The head coach talked about how he threw and his competitiveness. Now, there's nothing wrong with Alex Delton as a player. He can do a lot of things for you, but he wasn't going to do for you what Max Duggan could, even as an 18-year-old kid from Iowa stepping foot into the Big 12. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm biting my tongue to not say anything about Alex Delton. Like we all, we all knew what was going to happen there. We just all thought it was going to be Justin Rogers way early on. And then it turned out that it was Max. So Grant, I think yeah. I cut you off. Did I? No, I was just saying that just gets me fired up about Max Duggan. I mean, yeah, Carlos, you, you, you kind of touched on it. Just the, the, you know, you're watching the games, the leadership, the moxie, stuff like that. I think, um, yeah, I'm just fired up after hearing you say that. So yeah, we're all good. <laughs> Uh, okay, my other my other positional question, and then I want to talk about some coaching stuff um, while we have you. So, wide receiver. Uh, TCU's wide receiver core has been, uh, I'll say, top-heavy the last couple of years. Hasn't been as yeah. deep, hasn't been as multiple. Um, Tay Barber showed up in the Texas game last year and kind of announced I'm healthy, I'm back, and, and looks to be the guy that, that'll be the first option. Who do you see as a potential, uh, even, even a dark horse, second or third option for TCU's offense next year in the wide receiving core? Well, I'm really interested in watching Mikel Barkley. We just haven't seen enough of him. But what an athlete, right? Yeah. I mean, every, every measurement you see, every projection you see, says this guy go get the ball. And he's built to do that. You know, outside of that, you're right. Who steps in next? Tavalence Hunt's got a, a, a good build, too, for that outside position. You know, is Dylan Thomas going to play for you next year? This guy's got a reliable set of hands. He knows the offense. You can depend on him. And you've got, you know, younger guys coming in like Blair Conright, the kid from Lubbock. This guy caught a ton of balls in high schools. He knows what he can do with that. You know, but who's next? You're right about the top heaviness, but I think there's a depth here to the squad this year that they can really take advantage of. For sure. And, that, and that's a great segue into kind of scheme and coaching because an issue TCU had this year a lot was they just didn't have enough hands reliably to, to to be on the field so they were putting you know Artavius Lynn and Pro Wells splitting them out Shea Will Lua played a lot of wide yep. receiver um just kind of filling in there and so I think that that depth at wide receiver will really kind of provide a more robust option of attack you know you couple that with Max develop uh, Max Duggan's development so kind of in the natural course of things the offense should improve but um I'd love to hear your take on the offensive hires uh, big picture and small picture so so Meacham and then or I guess vice versa, big picture, Jerry Kill, small picture, uh, bringing back Doug Meacham, hiring Brian Applewhite. What do you think is going to be different about the offense this fall? What do you think how, – how do you think these hires are going to work out? I love that Meacham is back. Just love that. This guy is good, okay? He, he's good. Everywhere he goes, he gets results. And I don't know what brought him back. I don't know what kind of pull TCU had – to attract him back, or I don't know if somebody called him, or I don't know if they called, or if he called them, but I'm just glad he's back because this guy has a way of positioning his guys, creating a game plan that 
takes advantage of what you see in the Big 12. This conference is built for you to throw the ball. It's built for you to take advantage of matchups. And this guy, when he came in, when he and Sonny came in together, that's what they exploited was a Big 12 that wasn't ready to see their style. Now, Doug Meacham knows people adjust to him, to his schemes, but he also knows the next counter to that because he knows this offense so well. So I can't wait to see the results of him coming back, especially to coach these inside receivers, but also to contribute on these game plans. And when you bring in a Jerry Kill sort of as a uh, overarching quality control and a confidant liaison to the head coach, I think you'll see Meacham, Cumbie, Anderson, the new offensive line coach, or the old new offensive mm -hmm. line coach, not that he's old, but <laughs> this is a staff that I think knows how to work together. They know how to communicate to the head coach. And now the head coach has a, has a person he can talk to the coaches through that he's comfortable with. So I really think the offensive side of the ball will, will be a smooth operation this year. And now that they've got a quarterback, they can unleash some of these ideas they have. Carlos Parker and I were watching the uh, 2014 TCU-Kansas State game uh, last week. Um, of course, you know, uh, the whole Boykin Copter, you know, night game. I'm, I'm sure you were there. Uh, I was. <laughs> yeah, I, I was too. I was in the student section. Um, but w one thing we noticed, A, was how focused and intense Meacham was on the sideline. Yep. Um, and, and two was sort of, yes, they were aggressive through the air and they really took chances. But they also ran the ball so – for lack of a better term, smartly. I mean, I mean, every run they did seemed intentional and, and aggressive in its own way. They used Boykin a lot. Um, and I just wonder if, if, you know, you think there's a possibility that, that we can see sort of a return to using, you know, Duggan in, in, the, in the run game. He's probably 90% as fast as Boykin, but he's a little bigger and takes some hits. And I don't know. I just want to know if you thought that might be a possibility to see those sort of schemes come back. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that, but I don't think so because I don't think Duggan is the uh, dynamic runner that mm -hmm. Trevon Boykin was. Mm -hmm. Now, Duggan's fast and he's tough, but he runs because he's in trouble out of necessity. He's not looking to do that. You know, with Trevon Boykin, you could design a game plan for a game or two or three around his running. That's how they want to come back at K-State that mm -hmm. year happened because of him. They beat, well, they beat K-State at home also here because of him. Was that that game where he dove into the end zone and oh, yeah. kind of landed on his neck? The Boykin Copter, I think they yeah. call it. Yes, yeah. yeah. So he had two or three of those games in that two-year run where you won behind his legs. And you didn't do that out of, um, you know, just at, on spur of the moment. You designed that game plan. I don't think you're going to do that with Duggan. I don't think you need to do that with Duggan because he's a good thrower. He's a in fact, he's a better thrower than Trollon Boykin was. Well, he'll get there, in my yeah, opinion. On the parallel development, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think he'll end up a better passer than Trevon was. But he's got enough running chops to hang in there and steal a game if he needs to with a player two with his legs. But I don't think they'll design an entire game plan around him. Gotcha. Definitely. I am a little bit excited to see what happens when Max is running to gain yards rather than running to – save his life. <laughs> um, you know, there's a couple times they ran the, the sprint option at the goal line and, and, you know, in Oklahoma, they, they ran the option a couple times and looked really awesome. Um, but no, I, th I think that's great. I think, I think TC's offense is healthiest when Duggan has a pocket and, and can throw as he kind of 
grows and develops for sure. Um, I started that as a segue and I had something else. This is great radio. Well, in, in the meantime, Do that. I, I yeah. want to ask you one more thing about um, just sort of progression. We saw Boykin progress under Cumbie. And I mean, this is kind of a, a simple question, but, you know, Cumbie is pretty decent at developing quarterbacks. And, and you know, how much yep. of a leap do you expect Duggan to make as a sophomore? Uh, a big one, a big one. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that he doesn't ha- he's not getting the work that he should be getting normally. Right. So, you know, where is he going to be when the games are in practices and the camps finally start? Mm-hmm. But that'll be the case for everybody. Everybody's going to have to take about, you know, 10 weeks worth of work and compress it maybe into three mm-hmm. or less. But this kid's talented. He's got the ability. You know, these coaches are smart. They're all going to, they're all going to get there. But do we expect to see Max Duggan from week 10, 12, 14 last year and week one, two, or three? I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's going to go for the whole team. That's going to go for every team. This is going to be a uh, – if things don't change within, let's say, 60 days, this is going to be a shotgun start to this college football season because it's going to be letting cats loose out from under a blanket and you don't know who's going to run where. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, okay, I think that transitions into, into two, two final questions here. Um, one, don't want to ask you to make a prediction, but want to ask you, what do you think is the most likely manifestation of college football this fall? What does college football look like this fall? Uh, and you're just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall. What do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, when I heard uh, Kirk Herbstreit say that he didn't even expect to have a, f- a football season this fall, I thought, huh. And then I thought, huh. He's maybe not so nuts after all because, you know, short of a vaccine a year from now, I get the feeling that there's these 90,000 people crowds and regular attendance at stadiums is going to be discouraged. I don't think people are going to want to do it, and I don't think it's going to be called for. You may see college football being played with no fans, but is that really college football? I think if that's the choice presented to college football, they'll try it. They'll do it just to see if they can get going again. I think college football this year will be played at a part at a partial schedule, eight games without fans until December, November. That's my prediction. And I can say that here on uh, April 8th, right? And not look dumb. May 8th, I may look dumb. June 8th, but we'll see. It's just, it's hard to predict. Definitely. And, and here's hoping we all look dumb and things are back to normal on, you know, <laughs> yeah, August 17th. Right. <laughs> I hope Mike Gundy was right. That might be the first time <laughs> yeah. I've said that. So yeah, I hope he was. Definitely. Um, okay, Carlos, last thing. I just saw this yesterday. TCU uh, Vegas released some pre- preliminary lines over unders. Again, assuming college football happens in a, in a normal fashion. Yeah. Uh, TCU over under this year is six and a half wins with no bowl games. So that's regular season. I, bristled at that but then I thought to myself and realized wow seven wins would be TCU's best regular season total in the last three years um so that line kind of makes a lot of sense are you taking the over or the under and um and why well that's right on the line isn't it 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 makes you think yeah I would think I would take over just because you know the talent that keeps coming in is real talent and it's starting to accumulate and it's going to start to show. The problem is that, you know, Oklahoma has just been a vacuum for victories in this conference. They're like, 
they're like Jupiter in the solar system. They just attract everything and they just keep you from, from gaining strength and momentum as another team uh, that's trying to get, make your way. So as long as Oklahoma and Texas are strong, it's, it's hard to get those two wins every year. But, you know, TCU is in a league where it can compete with Iowa State. It can compete with Oklahoma State. It, it ought to beat Texas Tech regularly. You know, there's wins to be had here. You play nine games, you ought to win five minimum every year. So if you schedule well in non-conference, I think eight is a reasonable goal as a floor for TCU every year. So I think that'll be the case this year. I think there's enough talent for eight wins here. So I would take the over. Awesome. Uh, Grant, what do you think? Just putting you on the spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I would have said seven. I, I would say that five is – I'd say five is correct for the Big 12, but let's say you don't get that win. Maybe you pick it up against Cal or, you know, if you sweep a non-conference and you get four wins in conference, that's eight. Um, right, my math's not completely wrong there. And then, uh, yeah, so so I think I would take the over, but I'd lean closer to seven. If it was seven and a half, I might take the under. And yeah, TCU has not gone three straight years without having one eight is what I told Athlon, so I, I hope that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah I hope, right. hope that hope that is right. I mean, um, and and I'll be I'll be contrary and pessimistic as I'm prone to be, but TCU had never gone three years with with different quarterbacks, so we'll see what uh, we'll we'll yeah. see what turns up. And, and QB hopefully is college. everything. QB yeah. is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Awesome. Cool. Well, Carlos, thanks so much for joining us, man. Good to good to chat for a little bit. Um. Here as we're all quarantined and locked up. Um, everyone should go buy that Athlon preview that normally comes out in May, right? Yeah. June or May. Yeah. June, June or May. Um, it'll be your grocery store. will have it. It's anywhere you can find things. That's a, a great reference. And where can people find your work? Uh, otherwise. That's it in Athlon for now. Um, everything's kind of on hold on pause as we uh, try to get this thing spinning again. Uh, but follow and, you on Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter? See Alex Mendez, correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, cool. So you can follow Carlos there, pick up the Athlon newsletter. Um, well, great, Carlos. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to have you this evening. Great. Thanks, Alex. Cool. Stay safe out there. Well, Grant and I are back. Carlos has left the building, as it were. Uh, left the Zoom, the Zoom room. Uh, I don't feel like I should say Zoom room. Yeah, it's a weird term. By the way, I, I do want to give a shout out to Carlos, and he's not going to hear this because he's left the Zoom. Although, uh, unless he listens to the pod, but he was like the nicest person in the world um, for any TCU Cub reporter coming up. Um, just an ultimate like dude to talk to at games if you wanted any advice. So shout out to Carlos. He's the best. Yeah, re- uh, really nice guy. Really, uh, I mean, thought that was a pretty insightful uh, talk about TCU. So um, cool. All right, uh, Grant, we have some just various and sundry to get to um, here mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple waning minutes of our podcast. So first, I saw a tweet today uh, from none other than Stadium Zone Brett, Brett McMurphy, where they did a survey and said 88% of FBS athletic directors want expanded playoff when the deal ends in 25-26. 72% want eight teams, 11% want 16 teams. Um, and the, the most popular eight-team model, eight-team model was five power five champs, one group of five, and then two at-larges. So, Grant, let's talk about playoff expansion. What are your thoughts on moving beyond four? Well, 
first off, I, I like that 18 model. Uh, I, I actually almost like a 16 model where you just take the five conference champions, one G5 team, and the first two get a bye. I, I wouldn't hate that, to be honest with you. I think it's interesting that the athletic directors were in such high agreement on it. I also think you could, could have basically asked them, uh, hey, do you want more money? Because um, that's basically what it is. It's a money-grabbing machine, and uh, uh, that's 88% would say yes. Um, but, uh, no, I, 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 I mean, any serious college football fan or any fan of fun would want more expansion. Um, and I think eight, six or eight is the right number. I, I think 16 is way too high. But, but I, I think it would – well, I want to hear your thoughts, Parker, because I have a take on formulating. Okay, I'm, so I'm going to go contrarian, as I'm, as I'm prone to do and say it should either stay at four or it should go to 24 like the FCS playoffs. Jesus, okay, well. 24 would be that. crazy. Do you know who the 24th team in SP Plus was last year? And, uh, this will shock you. Can I guess? Can, can you give me a conference? Uh, Big Ten. Hilarious Big Ten, though. Illinois. No, close. Yeah. Okay. Northwestern? Uh, your, your Indiana <laughs> Hoosiers. No, Northwestern was Woo! like 90. I know, I know. Uh, our Indiana Hoosiers, if you will. Mm. No, okay, so here's my argument just in terms of quality. I don't think there have been four – there haven't been six playoff caliber teams most years. Yeah, 2014 uh, was probably the only year. Yeah, 2014 is the, the, the exception, not the rule. Um, but if you look at this year, I'm, I'm pulling up right now SP Plus at the end of conference championships, so before bowl games, before the playoffs, right? Your top four, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU uh, – Playoff teams, right? Ohio State, mm-hmm. 35 rating. Alabama, 32.6. LSU, 31.8. Clemson, 29.3. There is a three-point drop between number four and number five. And five was what, Oklahoma? Five was Georgia, 26.2. Okay. Um, Oklahoma was six. They were 25.8. That's too many numbers for radio. But, right, but then still, yeah. if you go down, your top 16 teams – Oregon was 16 at 18.3. So the range from five to 18 is eight points. Yeah. I know S and P is, isn't as volatile with wins and losses, but Oregon was like two wins away from the playoff. Yes. Oregon. Like, absolutely. Oregon was, Oregon was arguably a Bo Nix hilarious hail Mary away from the playoff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there, there'd be some issues there. I'm just arguing in terms of quality I don't, I don't think there's enough quality to justify six because if you go there, then you've got to go further. And if you go to 16, okay. the Oregon at 16 was 18.3 rating. 24 Indiana was 13.5, right? Right. I don't know that Indiana right. should be included, but yeah. you think about like the top, the, the top 24, I'm arguing that the gap between the top four and everyone else is about as big as the gap between the best of everyone else and the worst of everyone else. No, that's, that's completely fair. And that was kind of half the take I was formulating, but I've since, I guess, done a 360. I'm back to where I started. I, look, I, four <laughs> is definitely the right number. If you want, if you, if you want quality, you're, you're exactly right. Maybe on occasion there's five, but you can't have a five scene playoff. Um, so I, I think morally or whatever fairness why that's what i, I care about in college football is morality. Morality. That's why we're fans. Um, and, and Mike fairness, too. but, yeah, exactly. But fairness, I think eight's the right number. I mean, I think if you win your conference championship, that does mean something. Even if it is like the Pac-12 in a bad year, you still won your conference. Okay, and and I don't remember hate when this. like eight and five UConn went to the freaking Orange Bowl. Like that's one of the problems with the BCS is these tie-ins. 
I can't believe UConn went eight and five. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Honestly, for them, that's like, that's like that's twelve. That if you if you adjust that for UConn, that's twelve wins anywhere else. They, in the they should have been. They should with if UConn wins eight next year. Put them in the playoff. That's my. That's, my <laughs> that's, that's the rule. But but, but I I mean, I mean, I don't know. I think eight is the best mix of hey maybe we'll get some anarchy and also like okay we're just gonna let like the best teams in. I, I yeah. Well, and it, and it, if you're concerned about like who, who the best team winning, then you want to have as few teams as possible in Correct. right because. Correct. Going from four to eight strictly decreases everyone's probability of winning, not because there's a huge change in, you know, one is probably going to be eight every time, but it's a non-zero chance that one loses a game they didn't have to play. So you go from 100 to not 100, their, their probability goes down. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think 20, I think 24 is too much. I think 16 is boring. I could almost see an argument for 12. Um, because 12 gives you, if I'm doing this right, it's six twice, right? So you have four buys. Yes. Yeah. So f- yeah. top four national seeds get a buy. You have two rounds after that. I think that's a little bit more fun. Yeah. Well, top it, four national seeds get a buy, then you have three after that. Right. So it goes uh, play in round one of eight teams, round two of yeah. four. So there's four rounds total. No. Right. And then the championship. Yes. We can't count. We don't do math. Um, I should have. I think you're not working on a doctorate or anything, Parker. It, there is uh, very little math, fortunately. Uh, that's a lie. There's sure. a ton of math. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing's going to happen with this for like three years, and we're going to get you know the next two years. We're going to get all these ways about like the definitive playoff expansion plan and all that. But tune in next week when we talk about conference realignment. Oh, I I, I, sw- I tweeted this. I have a map in my differential equations class. Uh, I was so bored. I drew a map. And it, it perfectly realigns college football. So I'll write it up and we can talk about it next week. Can I? Yeah. I, I'm going to give a shoot. There's a guy that I love that is in media right now. Dusty Baker, great guy. He was a TCU sports writer. And freshman year, he came in with this. He was my neighbor in Milton Daniel Hall. And he came in with this big spreadsheet of his conference realignment for college football. And he showed it to every person that he met. I'm like, Dusty, I'm like this. <laughs> I think Alabama was at a conference with Troy. Um, That's awesome. It was really, really weird. Um, Here's a question. Were you a white dude in college in the 2010s <laughs> if you didn't at one point do a college football realignment plan? That's fair. Yes. But, but ever since Dusty, who, again, I love, it, um, did that, I just look at everyone's conference realignment as, okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Uh, sure, shouts sure. to Dusty Baker. Is his name really Dusty Baker? Yeah. Like the manager. A, That's hilarious. The, yes, Ast- exactly. the now he's Astros a, manager. Right. He's a Dodgers fan and he works in, uh, he's a sports reporter for Abilene. So shout oh, out to Dusty. Oh, very but, fun. That's Very fun. Shouts to Dusty. Yeah. Um, okay, before we get to a couple Q&As, because there's no timer on Zoom, so I have no idea how long we've gone. Um, I want to follow up on something and kind of bounce an idea to you. Uh, so this is a little bit explain it to an idiot, but it's also, uh, am I being dumb? Okay. So I've adjusted a couple weeks. I talked about the, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Corsi Index, which is a measure of game control. And it is the ratio of scoring opportunities you have to total scoring opportunities in the game. So it's like, what percent of the productive drives in a game did you have? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've done two things to that. One, I've amended it. I've put scoring, I've included in scoring opportunities, big play touchdowns, right? So if you're on your own 20 and you score a touchdown, that's a scoring opportunity. You made that, you created that. And then anytime you have a first down inside the 40. So both of those happen. And what I did is I went back and just looked at the Corsi index for all of TCU's games this season. and 
I think it works out as a pretty decent proxy for win probability. Cause it basically says like, how, how much of the game did you control? Right? So what I want to do, Grant, is I want to read game by game, uh, TCU's Corsi index as a post-game win probability. And you tell me, is that too high or too low? Okay. Okay. So we'll start out. Arkansas Pine Bluff, their Corsi index was 83.3%. Post-game okay, win probability out of 100. So that's, okay. that's percentage. So I'm okay. saying their post-game win probability was 83.3%. That's probably a bit low, but fair. They missed a lot of opportunities that game. Right. A lot of field goals. Um, yes, and and really did most of their scoring in the second half. Um, okay, the next game was Purdue. Purdue, 76.92. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Yes. Watching that game, I think for the first half, you were a little nervous, and then it was kind of over. So, yeah, that's fair. The SMU was a clean 50%. Very accurate. Okay. I'm fine with that. Any, any, any one of those turnovers or TCU kicks a field goal instead of doing the worst play in the history of TCU, they win that game, right? So, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm okay with 50-50. Um, all right, I'll burn through the conference schedule really quick. It's out of order because I arranged it by um, how high it was. So okay. Kansas, 75%. Yeah, that should be higher. I think that should be higher. I think maybe a garbage time filter helps you out with that. Yeah. Um, Baylor, 63.64%. That's a bit high, but I, I would not be surprised if, like, the numbers favored TCU in that game. Just, I mean, Baylor kicked, like, a 52-yard field goal to win, to put yeah. to send it to overtime. Yep. Uh, like they should not have been in that game. I mean, TCU had the ball with three minutes left and a lead and they yeah. didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will say is, well, not to get too in the weeds, but in that game and not to make you relive the other game, but TCU also didn't maximize any of their scoring opportunities in that game. They didn't have very many, but they didn't do anything with them either. No, they did not. They did not score at all. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Um, okay. Texas tech 62.5. Yeah, that's about right. See, I, I bet that, I bet that fact in big plays. It did factor in big place. Um, yeah. Texas Tech had a lot of them. I kind of flagged that one as weird because I thought it should have been lower because of the narrative of the game. Like TCU needed a turnover at the end. And yeah. so I wonder if I could include turnovers, but um, I don't know. Let me, let me run through the rest of these. So Texas, 57.14. About right. Kansas State, 55.56. Yeah, Kansas State blocked a punt. That's how they, yeah. So yeah. Right? These all seem really rational. And then the, the ones where TCU is below 50%. Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State was 46.15. Oklahoma was 45. Iowa State was 35.71. And West Virginia was 28.57. If I just handed these to you, if I just handed these to you and said these are postgame win probabilities, you would say, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm pretty pleased it with makes how a lot that's of working sense. out. West Virginia is low, man. I mean, I both both, both of us are at that game, and I know. TCU scored on a punt return from Rager, but um, TCU's offense low. was real bad. The, what was the final score of that game? I was. Um, it was twenty-one seventeen. It was twenty. I think it was twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah, and one of those kickoffs, or one of those, was a, a punt return touchdown. It was. It was mm -hmm. a very sloppy game. It, uh, yeah. Yeah. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we always land on West Virginia or the it, freaking Shamo Cat? Yes. I hate it. Uh -huh. um, okay, let's run through a couple of questions that I have. Um, I have some in the DMs, and so if people DM me questions, I keep them anonymous because I assume that's what they want. Um, so these are two hypotheticals, all right? Okay. One, would TCU have been better off if they were in the original Big 12? 
That's like a big scope question. I haven't really thought about it. I just kind of want to throw it out there and see. So are we replacing somebody? Uh, or is it I just don't, the Big 13? There's no qualifier. Let's say let's go with Big 13, and then let's go they, – they, they replace Baylor. Okay. Uh, they'd still be in the south probably. So you have to play Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that looks like TCU being the, you know, the um, Ole Miss for a, a while was like the consistently like the best four loss team in the country. Yep. I yep. think TCU would have been very much in that niche and they wouldn't have hit the, the plateaus or the, the peaks that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that especially combined with like really, really small enrollment would have, I think TCU needed to break through before they joined a yeah. big conference. Baylor stunk pretty much that entire period, but you don't, and, but you don't get a guaranteed win against Kansas like you do almost every year, I right. guess. And um, Kansas state hadn't been great either. So no, I, I, yeah, I think they would have been worse off, but that is a really interesting question. Yeah. I think that's, that's worth maybe diving into yeah. more, but um, an interesting one. All right. The second one is a, a really good hypothetical. What if TCU had landed LaMichael James instead of Oregon? And so this person tells me that, there is a rumor or the story is that he was going to come to Oregon and then someone on TCU staff called him the wrong name, didn't call him LaMichael. And so he went somewhere else. Can't verify that. Don't believe this source at all. Just think that's very interesting. Um, if what LaMichael, year would that have been? So LaMichael James was 10, 11, 12, 13. Okay. Well, they would have won more than four games in 2013, I think. Yeah. Well, no, sorry. 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 10, 11, 12. He was gone. He did. Yeah. He went, he, he got drafted. He went to the 49ers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that doesn't really matter because well, Michael James is really good, but TCU also had really good running backs during that period of time. Yeah. They also went undefeated in 2011. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how much better they could. I mean, they weren't going to get a BCS championship bid. Yeah. Or uh, Um, 2010. Yeah. You just needed somebody else to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then 2011, honestly, you basically needed a play against SMU and a play against Baylor Would the Michael James have given them that. I don't know. Both of the, I mean, TCU had to come back and it, yeah, it was, it was a bad throw. So uh, the comeback against Baylor and it was a bad throw. So I, I don't know that that actually, that's a fun like retrospective. I don't know if that actually changes anything. Sure. Yeah. Much like the big being in the original big 12. It's really, really fun to think about and I'll probably go to bed thinking about it, but I don't know if it changes anything. Yeah. Um, I have one fun hypothetical for you. Okay. Uh, shout out DJ crime dog who asked us this. What do you think Andy Dalton is doing right now? Uh, it would shock me if Andy Dalton doesn't have a very successful virus fundraiser. Yeah, I would agree. He's a charitable guy. So yeah. I want to say that first. My question to you is, do you think, I haven't looked, I don't, I don't do the Instagram or whatever. Do you think Andy Dalton is one of these three types of dads? Okay. Do you think he is trick golf shot athlete dad? Do you think he is, here's my kids singing dad on Instagram? Or do you think he is, Here's this really elaborate meal me and my wife cooked. I think he is a subset of three, which okay. is uh, of the third one, which is look at what I just grilled. Oh, grilled at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Andy Dalton has strong grilled at vibes. He yeah. does. He, yes, for sure. He is wearing like a Cincinnati Bengals. He's still, he's not, yeah, just like uh, an Under Armour from like, yeah. he's not with the Bengals, is he? I Still? think he technically is, but his contract's – he's definitely not going to be there this fall. Right, yeah. right. Okay, but this shirt's in, like, 2014, so it doesn't yeah. matter. You know what I mean? And he is just, like, cooking incredible 
like fajitas on the grill pretty much every night. Definitely. He, he for sure has one of those spatulas that's metal and has like TCU carved out yes. in the middle of it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think exactly. that's the right answer. Yes, for I'm sure, not going to go sure. look at Instagram to verify that. It's just, yeah, that's in our heads. Um, uh, the other, the other random one we had, which is a great end, uh, end of the podcast. What's the best TV show going and on what streaming service can I watch it? So I'll expand that. What's the best TV show going right now? And what are you watching during the uh, quarantine? Well, so what I'm watching, uh, I started Justified recently. Uh, the show that started in 2010, I believe, uh, with Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins. Um, great accents in that show. And Walton Goggins might be, like, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. Incredible show. Uh, lots of random gunfights that don't happen in real life in southeastern Kentucky. Uh, just the best. Um, the best show going right now is Tiger King, which I assume everyone here has watched. Uh, but if you haven't, go watch it. I thought about it for a week after I watched it. I know that's the cliche answer. I don't care. It is a piece of American art, and they're making another episode that's supposed to come out soon. Oh, awesome. I didn't know about that other episode. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I listened uh, I listened to the podcast version of this that came out like two years ago, mm-hmm. and I have to tell you, the visual element makes the story that much wilder. Oh, I and, like These people exist, and they look like that. Uh, it is, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I am watching Westworld, I guess, is the only thing right that's current that I'm watching. Uh, I, do, I do watch the new episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it is very bad. Uh, is it? It is not fun since they saved it. Yeah, it's disappointing. Everything dies, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my answer, I guess, is West, Westworld's pretty fun because it's like you can watch it and then listen to a podcast and then watch it again, and that gets you a lot of mileage. So. But you're also working on it. How do you have time to watch something? No, I mean, it's like at night, you know, for oh, like okay. a bed or something. Yeah, no, I'm not, I don't, I'm like, I'm not like streaming or binging anything. Uh, no, yeah. So if my advisor listens to this, I don't watch TV at all. So uh, fair enough. Uh, okay, we're uh, slowly descending into madness. So I'm going to call this, I'm going to call this an episode. I think I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, if you've listened this far, you're a true fan. You know where to find us on Twitter. We'll be back next week with uh, another good guest. And until then, uh, be well, stay safe. And wash your hands.